0: Now, joy. What a time of the year to talk about joy. David says, I'm, I was the most probably the most um, able person to talk about joy. And when he mentioned that, morning, went, huh?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's nothing like your wife giving you great encouragement before you get up to preach and go, yes, dear, you're the man to do this. I agree with you. It was a, huh, you know? I can't, I can't say that I'm awful joyful all the time. I'm not always, but I pretty much most of the time like to be joyful if I can. Unspeakable joy. There is an old hymn that says, joy unspeakable. And I love it when I listen to the likes of the gospel singers in America when they sing this because they just go off in one when they sing it. And it is absolutely amazing. What does it mean? Um, I, gosh, I hope I... forward, no go forward, yeah. Yeah. And again, that's you. Ah, there we go. Joy unspeakable. So, what does a joy, the feeling of great pleasure, happiness, delight, jubilation and triumph. Um, it is an amazing feeling to be joyous. It's an amazing feeling to be there. It's satisfying, it's so good. You can have all sorts of definitions of what makes you feel joyful. It could be the fact when you come home and there's something, your special special dinner's on the plate and you're, you know, that we're going to have such and such tonight food and it's going to be so good or your football team is continually winning all the time. Um, And you could be overjoyed at the fact that your most hated team is losing all the time, which, you know, you need prayer for if you feel like that because that's not right. And, you know, joy is the most amazing feeling, but we don't always feel that all the time. Now, Today I was looking to look at Nehemiah and um, if you look, uh, we'll, we'll tell you a wee bit about Nehemiah before we even go there. But Nehemiah, believe it or not, was a cupbearer in the house, in the court of the king of Persia. And he got special favour because um, he moved his way up through the ranks done exceptionally well, and it's Nehemiah yet, by the way. Nehemiah is a funny old book to find, isn't it? I don't know what it is. I've been a Christian nearly 40 years and still struggle to find it, um, probably because I don't read it often, but it is a good old book to be into. But if you're looking for Nehemiah, if you go Chronicles, Ezra, and then Nehemiah, you'll find it. Um, very simple enough, so it's chapter 8 anyway. But just to give you a bit of an idea of what's happening, Nehemiah has now become pretty important within the King of Persia's court, but it's come to his ears that the, the children of Israel, who have been allowed to go back again from their captivity in Babylon, and then the, the Persian, Medo-Persian um, uh, people have taken over, and they've been allowed to go back. But when they go back, they've discovered that they, Jerusalem is in, it's in bits, really. It's in really bad shape. And he has heard that there are those there who have been mocking the children of Israel, They really have been giving them a hard time. They have have brought them into disrepute. They have mocked them because they want to rebuild the wall. And they're making fun of them, basically, and treating them with the most awful contempt. And this breaks Nehemiah's heart. It really does. But he's a man of prayer. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. And he prays about this. And God allows him to go back to Jerusalem. And when he arrives there, he has this great ambition to get the wall built and he builds a wall around Jerusalem in 52 days. Now that's impressive. There is no, um, there has got a, There's no uh, building control. There's no planning there. It was just a case of let's go out and wherever you live in your area, start building the wall. Get on with it. Let's get it going. Now, when you read some of the commentaries about Nehemiah, you discover he's quite a it's quite a get up and go guy, but he's also. Pretty aggressive, you know, when, the, like, get it done, let's get this done. Look, don't hear no messing from you. Get your wife out there, you know, don't let her be sitting in the house. Come on, get her out. Get your daughters, get them out too. Come on, let's get going here. Let's get this wall built. Everybody got involved in building the wall to the very point that those who were making fun of the children were really impressed by this. They were so impressed at the speed of the build. Now, there was a man there called Ezra, and he was a priest and a scribe. And he gets all the people there to come down to the water gate. And um, he gets them all into the big square, basically. It's the big square, and they all come in, and he starts to read the law. Now, this is where everything changes for them. Because he begins to read the law at the beginning of daylight. Now, if you've ever complained about a preacher going on too long more than maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or even 40 minutes. You will never complain about what these people did. They sat there for what was, I think, roughly about six hours listening to the reading of the Word. So don't ever complain about David and I going over our time, oh please, when we're, when we're preaching. But these people sat at that time for six hours listening. And while they were listening, the Holy Spirit was touching them, and they cried. They cried huge tears. Because God was touching them. And they'd suddenly realised about the neglect that they had brought upon the city. And it it just really got out of hand for them. And when it came to dark, this is where Nehemiah comes in and says, Look, you know what? Um, Stop crying. Please, stop crying. And this is what he said. I'm going to take it up from verse 8. I'm going to take it up from verse 8. Go back. Go back. Is it David? Yeah. From verse 8, And they read from the book of the law, um, Morgan had Clerk, giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. And then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy good choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day of the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy before they are now understanding the words that they have been made known to them. Great words, and the Levites calmed the people. Let me move it on a little bit for you. So Nehemiah said to the people, Go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This is a holy day of the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now that is going to be the top word today. That top sentence is going to be the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you ever felt failure? Have you ever felt that awful feeling of failure? And sometimes it could have happened through many Different things from happening in your life, from sickness coming over you, a loved one who has died, um, you have failed doing something and you felt that you were going to be brilliant at it and you ended up becoming not so good at it, Um, perhaps maybe you've been struggling with mental health and sick in the body. All sorts of things can come over you and you feel that you're a failure and that takes your joy from you. It is the most awful feeling. When sometimes um, we've been walking with Jesus, we've been doing the most amazing walk with Jesus, we've been in the front line with Jesus, something happened and it made you feel that you were a failure. Something happened that made you fall back from where you were walking with the Lord. And all of a sudden you've just got, you've hit this real desert, this real low place, this dry land have come across you and all of a sudden you're not walking with the Lord in the same way. And I'm often saying to people who have, who have hit these these really hard times, I will often say to them, this one thing happens, on, and it's on a series of events. You stop reading the word of the Lord. You stop praying. When you stop praying, you stop going to church. And all of a sudden, Satan gets a wee open door into your life. You've heard me tell this story before, and there those who maybe not hear it before, but I have five brothers, and I'm the youngest of six of us, okay? So the six boys. And um, my brother who's above me, he was four and a half years older than me, him and I fought like cat and dog. I mean, it was like serious bad stuff. And I've told you this before, my mum used to forbid us from looking at each other, that's how bad things were. If she'd seen us looking at each other at all, um, there was big trouble. Um, and my mother did have no problem beating lumps out of you, you know, she really didn't. Um, but I remember... <laughs> I remember we used to have chores. My mum and dad worked full time. So my mum used to say, right, you guys are at home in the summer holidays. Here's what I need you to do. And we'd have the we list of jobs to do. But my brother had this, had this feeling that he was going to get me to do everything he wasn't going to do. And uh, we had a wee bit of an issue with this one, one very beautiful, sunny uh, summer morning. And he said to me, you're going to brush the floor and you're going to do something else. I said, those aren't my jobs. He said, they are now. And uh, that started it. And they started pushing me up out, and I was pushing him back. And we were having a real old Barney. And I happened to have the brush in my hand just as he did it. And um, he was hurting me. And just as I got his back turned, I had him right on the back of the neck with a brush, full whack. And, and I stunned him because he fell. And I thought, oh, good Lord, I've knocked him out. And um, I thought, I better run because if he wakens up and he gets up, I'm absolutely screwed here. I'm going to be absolute you know, I'm just going to be a puddle on the floor. So I ran up the stairs. And I had a great plan in my head. I run into the bathroom and lock the door. He will come up and try and get through the door. While he's busy trying to do that I'll climb out through the window onto the kitchen roof. I'll go out the back up the street and away and he won't get me for hours and that way I will have cooled down. It was a great plan and I thought it would work really well but my brother was quite fast and he got up the stairs just before I got the door shut and got his foot in the door I got creamed. That was it. I was absolutely beat, Lumps, lumps were beaten out of me. Um, my father, I did tell my dad when he came home because I needed to get some kind of way of getting him back for it. And so my dad beat him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Hey? Siblings, you couldn't beat it. You know what? The point of that story is this. My brother got his foot in the door. And this is how Satan gets a foot in your life. And when he gets a foot in your door of your life, your joy goes. That's it. Your joy is gone. Your joy is just going out the window. And and you know what? I always try to counsel people who are struggling with their their walk with the Lord, and especially those who have walked away, because they really find it very difficult to come back. I remember working in this job one time, and I met a guy, and he says to me, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. He said, I used to be a Christian. I said, whoa, I said, Past tense, used to be. Why? Why did he used to be? Why are you not now? This guy was greatly blessed of the Lord. He had come into this great work of the Holy Spirit. He was really being used by God in the most amazing way. Something happened. He couldn't quite explain it to me himself, but he rolled back from where he was with God. And he said, I've stopped reading the Bible and I've stopped going to church. I don't pray anymore. I don't feel I can come back, he said. Why would God ever want me back? I said, that's not how God does things, you know. It really isn't how he does it. This is what happens when your joy is taken from your life. Joy unspeakable. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to say that to you a lot today because I want you to get this as Christians. It's important to know this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And when Satan takes your joy away from you, you don't have strength anymore. It's gone. It's gone. There's a, there's a good old piece of scripture that a lot of people struggle with. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials and various kinds. I know that people will struggle with this one greatly because when struggles come, you say to yourself, how can I ever find joy? I have a loved one who's gone through the most awful, horrendous experience in their life. I have this thing happening in my life and you come up with a piece of scripture like this saying all through your trials, all through everything that's happening and you think I have to find some kind of joy. Hi, James chapter 1 verse 3. It is an amazing piece of scripture and I'll be honest with you, I used to struggle with this because I used to think, how on earth can you be joyous when things are literally falling down around you? The roof has just come down on your life. You're under the rubble of everything that's happening to you and you've got to go out and be all joyous. Guys used to laugh at me and work whenever I would be uh, hammer and chisel. You have a big two pound block hammer and a cold chisel and you know these were sometimes the jobs that you couldn't get a can go up into so you had to go in and and they're always in an awkward place where you're up like this and you're really giving it you know thumping this chisel for all you're worth and all of a sudden you miss the edge of the chisel and it hits you right there now if any of you ever come up you will see all scars that i have in my my hands here okay these are scars that i've had from whenever i would thump myself with hammers and all sorts of stuff And boy, I'll tell you, that was sore. And how I used to get around and the guys in the site used to laugh at me when I'd be going, praise the Lord! Hallelujah! And I'd be going like this because I'd be so sore. It's better than saying bad talk, it really is. And um, the joy of the Lord. When you meet trials in various kinds, that's only something minor compared to what it is. But the joy of the Lord that's being taken from your life, and that's because Satan uses it. And very often I meet people, and do you know what? I've met some people in my time. In my lifetime, I've met some people. And I've met people who have had the most troubled lives. And I've met people who have had unforgiveness and won't deal with it. There's a joy killer. That's a joy stealer if you've ever got one in your life. And there's people who just hate themselves. They put themselves down. Or others who are trying to live lives that other people expect them to live, but they're not those people. There's a joy killer. You can find, I could go on and on about the things that can destroy you and your joy for the Lord. But God wants you to do this one thing, to simply rely upon Him. And if you look at Nehemiah, and I love what Nehemiah has done here. A man given to prayer. Oh, a man after my own heart. A man blessed in prayer. He comes to the Lord with everything. And he said, Lord, you know what? I'm troubled. I'm troubled because the children of Israel are struggling here. And they're being attacked. They're being mocked. They're being mocked in the most awful way. And I need to go and see them. And I need to do something to help them out. In the middle of all this, they cry. Because the law is being read out by Ezra. The priest and the scribe is reading it out. And the Lord's touching them. And they suddenly realize, you know what? Our joy has been gone all this time. And it's all because we are in neglect. Beloved of this church and for those who are listening on podcast out there, I can tell you this one thing. If you neglect your walk for the Lord, either in prayer or in the scripture, you are on a slippery slope downwards to losing all your joy. You've got to pray and you've got to read. You've heard me say this hundreds of times. You've got to read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. Keep doing it. Even if it's only for a few minutes every now and then throughout the day, but read and pray. Because Satan gets that little foot in the door and that's it. Then you're going down the route of a wrong, wrong place. In the middle of it all, the people felt sad because they were aware of their own sin. Really, that's what was happening. But they could walk in joy because God was doing a great work. He was doing a great work. And then Nehemiah says to them, don't be sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you know something? And this is a fact. The only real joy you will ever have is through the Father. The only real joy you'll ever get in your life is from God the Father. And that's a fact. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know about you, but when I came to the Lord, and you know what, in the next October, and I was trying to remember this, but in the next October, on the 15th of October, I think it was, it's going to be 39 years I've been walking with the Lord. 39 years. And I can still remember the day that I asked the Lord into my life. I was totally elated. The joy of my life was just Unbelievable. I wanted everything God had for me. I was just overjoyed. It was inexpressible for me. It was just unbelievable. I can't begin to even put it into words. I wanted everything from from God because when I asked him into my life, oh boy, I tell you what, I was just feeling absolutely up there. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. I wonder how many of you could maybe talk in your own selves, or even, even remember what that was like the day you said, Lord, will you come into my life? Forgive me of my past. Lord, forgive me for everything that I've done. And all of a sudden you feel this burden taken off you and you're a new person and you're a new Christian and you're walking with the Lord. Oh boy, I could not get over it. Going into church on a Sunday and singing hymns, oh, even though we're old hymns, boy, I'll tell you what, they were amazing. I was just overjoyed. The fact that I was getting involved in youth work and I was get, and I was using my gifts in music and I was up there and I was doing things, you know, it was absolutely incredible. And then I came into this awakening of the Holy Spirit when it came and baptized me and all of a sudden I was doing this new stuff was all happening to me. All within a few years. And then God called me to be a local preacher and, and preaching the Methodist church I wasn't so enamoured about that one, mind you, but listen, it was all amazing, but God took me on a journey. And he still is, and he's still putting this joy in my life, all those 39 years, he's still doing it for me. But I'm wondering, and I'm wondering this, I'm wondering if any of you out there who are struggling with your walk for the Lord right now, and your joy isn't just complete anymore. I wonder if you're listening in um, on this sermon and you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, this guy's talking about me. I've lost my joy now. I remember that time. I remember what that was like. I was just all over the place, bouncing everywhere. And look at me now. I'm, I'm completely lost. I could never come back to the Lord. That fellow Paul that I met on the site, I remember saying to him, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you come back? I couldn't. And I couldn't come back again. I couldn't do that again. God will never forgive me for what I've done. Do you know what I reminded him about? I reminded him of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The, prodig- the, the prodigal son is an absolutely fabulous story. It's a fabulous story of forgiveness. You can imagine this young man. He says to his father, you know, Lord, I just don't get the I just don't, you know, he says this, Dad, I just don't get this. I don't get the program at all. I, look, Dad, just give me whatever it's entitled to, you know, my, my, my third of my inheritance. And I'll get out of your hair. Well, go away. I'll just go away. I'll go and, and that'll be it. His father doesn't dissuade to, to, to dissuade him at all. He doesn't tell him, look, son, don't do this. He gives him that. He says, there you go, son, go ahead. And he goes into a foreign land and he's throwing the money out like nobody's business, like confetti all over the place. And he makes all these friends and they're all false friends because he's got money. And then all of a sudden he has no money and there's a famine in the land. There's no food and no money and he takes a job feeding pigs. Now you can imagine this. It's it's an amazing story when you think about it. A Jewish boy feeding pigs. You can imagine what Jews do. They don't like pigs and they're not into pigs at all. They find it the most disgusting animal. They don't want nothing to do with them. And he's feeding pigs and they're, they're eating these little koreb um, pods off the corab tree. And they're very solid, these things. And they crunch them open with their teeth and they take all the bits out of them and they leave the, the kernels down. And he was taking the kernel up and he was scooping out of that the pulp out of the inside of it and supping it to try and get some kind of nutrients. And he was starving. The guy was really hungry. He was really, really hungry. And he was just sitting amongst these pigs and he was in filth. And, oh man, was it just an awful life. He'd gone from being in a really lovely home and, and you know, a father who had loads of servants and animals and everything, and it suddenly hits him. You know what, (laughs) Even my father's servants have got bread to spare, food to spare. And here's me, I'm sitting here in the stinking mess. I need to go back home. But I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll tell him, Look, Dad, um, I know I've done wrong. I'll go back here and look, I'll become one of your servants, Okay. I'll, I'll brush up and I'll shovel. I'll go out into the fields. I'll mend the fences and I'll put new gates up. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll look after the sheep and everything. I'll dig the shocks out. I'll do everything that has to be done. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. And he's going over this in his head, and he's on his way back home, and he's getting the whole, he's getting the whole matter all sorted out in his head, and he, he's almost nearly there. And his father sees him, and his father runs to him. He doesn't walk to him. He doesn't, you know. There's the the lad. I'll walk up to him. He runs to him. And he's like, you think about in that time, in that era, these these guys all wear these big, you know, big long dress things down to the bottom, didn't they? And he'd have to pull this up and show his bare legs and run like the the clappers up the street. And there he was up the loaning and he was seeing the sun. He's running towards him. And it's not as if he's running to him and going, Don't you dare, son. Don't even dare think you're coming back here. Don't think you're, you're, no, you've, you've got your lot, son. You're not coming back here and, and thinking you're, you're going to take over in here. He didn't do that. He grabbed him and he embraced him and he kissed him. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine the fact that he's been, he's been feeding pigs. He's stinking. He's filthy. He's got the smell of pigs all over him. He's got pig muck on him and everything. And the father embraces him and he hugs him and kisses him. And he says, son, you're back. Son, you're back. And he, he starts into his mantra, doesn't he? He says, Look, father, I know he says, I know I've done wrong, but look, he said, Look, I don't deserve to be your son. Look, I'm going to go here and I'm going to be your servant. He doesn't want to know. His father doesn't want to know nothing about it. He says, Son, you're back. He embraces him, he hugs him, he kisses him, and then he says to the servant, Go get a cloak, go get sandals put it on my son, get a ring on his finger. He says, we're gonna have a party tonight because I thought he was dead, but he's alive, he's back. He's back. What a lovely picture. What a lovely picture. The father embraces him and he takes his stink, doesn't he? He takes all the filth and the stink because he embraces him. Because that's what the father in heaven does. He takes everything that you've done in your past and he says, I don't care. I forgive you. What a picture. What an amazing father we serve. I'm wondering, is there people out there who will be in that position right now, feel that can't come back, but I have great news for you because you can. Amen, but you can. Because I know, I know my father will do that for you. I know that. I was nearly going to play a clip here this morning, but when I looked at the clip, I couldn't play it, and there was a good reason for it. I couldn't play it because, and do you know what's my favourite movie at Christmas? Elf, you know Buddy the Elf, yeah? You know the bit where he's in the department store and the, the manager comes up and says, Santa's coming tomorrow, and he gets all excited, he goes, Santa! I know him! But when I played it, he, he takes the Lord's name in view, and so I couldn't play that in church, so I couldn't. Um, maybe we could have blanked it out, but I can't work technology like that. Good Lord, I can hardly f- make my phone work, never mind do something like that. I know the Father, and I know he will do that for you. You know, there's a, there's a lovely piece of scripture, and when you read it, um, you'll know exactly what, sorry, that's the, the... yep, so, just to, to recap, yeah, we've been talking about hope. Let's allow this to come into us. Let's, let's get this in our, in our hearts and our minds. Hope, we've talked about peace. We've talked about love, and now we're talking about joy. Just remind our hearts of that all the time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Number one, God gives us hope. For many people, they lost hope. This is the one thing whenever I hear people talk about Christianity in the world, and they're down in it. This is the one thing I've got to say about, the, about being a Christian. You've got hope And you find a peace in your life. When you've got that hope, you get peace. And when you get peace in your life, you get this wonderful love that God has for you. And then it fills you with joy. Because see, when you lose that joy, all of those other things disappear. Absolutely incredible, but they all disappear. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you great news that will cause great joy for all the people. Isn't that what that message said when the angels came? The angels came and on that night, and they came to um, shepherds, and guess what? I was listening to a great sermon there not so long ago, and in the sermon, the, the preacher said, you know, um, if you couldn't get a job at doing anything else, you could get a job at being a shepherd. It was the lowest of the low, really. You know, it was the lowest job And, you know, everybody used to have great disdain for shepherds, especially when they came into town, because they were stinking, apparently. You know, they're out in the fields with all the animals. I don't know. I don't go near, you know, I'm not great with animals. There's farmers in here, and they're shipping animals about all over the place, and they're quite happy with that. I could never make a farmer. You know what I mean? But these people were the lowest of the low. And guess what? God sends the angels down to give the greatest news the world has ever heard. Great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. How fabulous is that? Absolutely amazing. Sorry, David. Now, there is another piece of Scripture. I wonder if you would just look up for me, Isaiah 51. Just very, very quickly, if you go to Isaiah 51, verses 10 and 12. 12 to 12. Isaiah 51, verses 10 to 12. Now, if you're really of a certain age... This will become very familiar to you for some reason or other. And I wonder if you can shout it out if you know what it is. There it is. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing on design. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Anybody know? It's a song, isn't it? Eh, good old. You know this one, don't you, Aaron? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and go with singing on design. Don't be sitting there doing that now saying you don't know it now. Honestly, that's terrible. This is an amazing song. Every time I sing this song, I just think of myself going into Zion. The day that the Lord brings me to heaven, I'm going to go in singing with joy, and everlasting joy is going to be upon my head forever. Amen. Hallelujah. What What an amazing verse that really is. How awesome is that going to be? How awesome is that message going to be? sorrow and mourning shall flee away that's because you've got an everlasting joy an everlasting joy this is why i keep pumping this out all the time especially when i meet christians who are struggling don't lose your joy of the lord satan doesn't want you to be joyous he is a thief he is a liar he's the man that brought about lies he's going to lie to people don't lose your joy this is an amazing stuff you know what I used to try and bring this to the to the the guys that I used to work with on building sites, <laughs> and I'm, I don't know. Maybe I've told you this story, so I apologise if you know this one. But we were doing this massive big job in RAF Aldergrove in the hangars, and um, we we had to go in. Now RAF Aldergrove was built in the nineteen hundreds at some stage with riveted steel. Absolutely incredible stuff this, you know. We, we had to go up with the big doors slide open to bring in the helicopters in, in and out. Where they were above it was all starting to go very bad with rust. And our job was to go in and put up this massive big scaffolding. Now inside those hangars, they're really taller about 80 foot, maybe even 90 foot. I think they're, they're massive anyway. And we were building this scaffolding up right up to the very top of these doors. And what we had to do was put a, a tarpaulin right round it. And we had to shot blast it. Now, shot blasting, by, fo- by far, folks, is the most filthiest job you could ever do. In fact, w- I destroyed a washing machine with all my, my work gear, with all the bits that came out of it and destroyed the washing machine. I, I could buy a brand-new washing machine after it, actually. But we used to go up, put this tropoleon right up to the very top. And when we did this, I had to go up in the mornings, and i go up through all the little ladders, up the whole way up to the top, right to the very top. And when I got out onto the top, I used to throw... A, um, cable down, for to put on the lights inside because you needed lights to see what you were doing, obviously, because it was quite dark in there. But when I used to get to the top of that Tropoleon and up that scaffolding and look over, right to the very roof part of the ceiling part of the hangar, it used to make me feel that like I was standing in a castle. You know when you're looking over the parapet of the castle and you're looking over? And every morning, and this is no joking, for about the three weeks that I was on that job, every morning I would stand at the top and I would belt out at the top of my voice, there is a flag flying high from the castle of my heart, and I would do the actions. And I did it that much every morning to the guys all started singing it with me every morning. <laughs> even, the, even the guys that worked in, in the RAF Aldergrove, who worked on the and they were all Wessex helicopters below us, something like fifty or sixty million pounds worth of helicopters. We would to be very careful not to damage those. We actually nearly put one of them on fire one time, but that's a different story for another time. But <laughs> Well, used to I used to stand every morning and I would sing. There is a flag flying high from the castle of my heart. I'd be batting this out at the top of my voice. Now you can imagine these are hangers; they reverb, don't they? There's an echo in there. What's made it even better? And then when I get to the chorus, oh, I used to love the chorus. Oh, let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know, let the whole world know, let the whole world And I'd be belting this out at the top of my voice for all I was worth every morning for nearly three weeks. And the guys didn't know it, but they knew this song. Next thing I was looking down, they were all joining with me. And they were doing this, doing the actions. Every morning, he says, man's nuts, but we'll join in with him, you know. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let the people see it. That's what I used to do. I used to love doing that every morning, because I have the joy of the Lord in my life, and I want them to see it. I want them to know it. Like I said to you at one stage there, we were looking at um, we were looking at uh, oh, I've lost a piece of my sermon, but didn't matter. I knew it anyway. You know, I was saying to you that sometimes there are things that come into our lives that take our joy from us. Perhaps, you know, there can be a diagnosis of the worst kind of disease that you could ever want. And all of a sudden your world falls to pieces. Your loved one that you absolutely love and adore and you think to yourself, God, how can you let that happen? And God comes to us and, you know, oh, I found my piece there, is it there? Wow. Well, don't let me out on my own, sorry. Um, all of a sudden, you've got this big problem and your joy's in pieces because something's happened that has really taken you down. And at the very beginning, I said to you at the beginning that there, um, the piece of Scripture... Um, In the midst of all adversity, continue to be joyous with the Lord. That's hard. That's really hard. You know, when you're going through a time of, I was going through a time of deep stress, and and I had to take time out of work, I didn't feel joyous. I really didn't feel very joyous. But I prayed and I said, Lord, give me back my joy again. I never stopped praying. Even if it's a few words, Lord, would you help me? God always helps you. In the midst of all your problems, God helps you. I've told you about this. You know me and my lovely old hymns. I love the old hymns, love them, absolutely adore them. But this lovely old hymn, written by a lady called Annie Johnston Flint. Annie Johnston Flint was absolutely um, beleaguered by this awful rheumatoid arthritis, and her hands were all deformed. And she was only in her late thirties or something in her early thirties, and she like would be laying on a on a on a bed and she was a great writer and a poet and to make money they would put a wee piece of chalk in between her fingers like this and she would write on a board all these little greetings that you would put in christmas cards and greeting cards that's how she made money but she wrote this amazing hymn and it says this he giveth more grace when the burden gets greater He sendeth more strength when the labours increase. He added affliction. He added his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplied peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundaries um, known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and he giveth and he giveth again. That's what God does. If you're struggling with your joy today, I'd love to pray with you. If you're listening on podcast, I'd love to pray with you. This church would love to pray with you. Get in contact with us. But here's the thing. God wants to bless you today with joy. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And without that, you have no strength. That's what I always say to Christians, if you are a Christian, and I have no problem doing this, is standing up and saying who I am and wearing it on my cuff, like standing on the top of scaffolding and singing at the top of my voice, there is a flag flying high from the castle of my heart. Because the King is in residence there. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the greatest news we ever got the greatest news ever given to mankind, the greatest news the world ever received was on that night when the angels came to the shepherds and said, Be not afraid, for we have great good noise of good news of great joy. And they told us about the birth of a child being born into this world that takes our stink away. Every filthy bit that we have and forgives us. It's the forgiveness. The father runs to the son and he embraces him and he says son you're back. He's forgiven and he's he's back being the son again isn't he? He's back again in his rightful place and we can all be in that place because of the joy that God gives us through the strength we have is the joy that he gives. How amazing is that? Nehemiah looked at the children of Israel and he said stop weeping. Stop weeping he said. Just stop. He says, go make food. Go get some nice sweet drinks. I think they wouldn't like that now, you know, sugary food, sugary sweets. Now Linda be saying there'd be none of that in here. <laughs> sweet drinks. And you know what he said? Go, and if you have enough there, go make for those you haven't prepared as well. I'll tell you what, this morning when I was having a cup of tea, I had a very sneaky little half bit of German biscuit in there, which was absolutely amazing. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you what, that's what it is. Thank you, Dorothy. That's amazing. Uh, If they were for tonight, I'm sorry. (laughs) This is me confessing. I'm confessing I was at the German bunch. There was somebody else at them, but I'm not going to tell you who it was. I corrupted them, by the way, because I asked them to help me. But Nehemiah says, look, go. Stop weeping. Go make something to eat. Go and get get the sweet drinks. Go get the food. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And there is where it all lands right into place for the sermon to finish at this point and say to you this. What he actually was saying to the folks. Look, stop now. You realize you've done wrong. You're now going to be forgiven. Let's move forward. This is what it's about to be a Christian. Even when you fall flat down on your face, you can get up. And you're forgiven because God says, I forgive you. Look at David, King David. King David went and he had an affair with a woman. that wasn't his wife. And you know, he thought he would get away with it. And then he was reminded about what he did whenever the prophet come to him. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord didn't say to him, you know what? You were in a very important place, my man. I don't want you doing this job anymore. Out you go. The Lord restored him right back to the very place he was. Right back to being the great judge of Israel. And he can restore us. And your joy can be complete today. That's what I feel the Lord's been putting in my heart this morning. And I don't know where you are personally at this moment of time. Perhaps you've been struggling a little bit. Perhaps you've been falling back a wee bit. Perhaps your joy has been getting a good old battering from Satan. I want to pray in a wee minute or two about that. Because you are all royalty. When you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, you are royalty. You are H.R.H., royal highnesses, and Satan is no place in your life. No, he has absolutely no business coming near to you at all because of who you are. That's the joy of walking with God and knowing that he can do the most amazing stuff in your life. Let's pray. Father Lord, I want to pray for those, Lord, who are being struggling with their walk and their joy. You give us this amazing joy in our lives, Lord, and we can never have true joy until we have you as Lord and Saviour. Thank you, Father. Mm -hmm. And so today I pray for those out there, Lord, who have been struggling with their joy. Perhaps unforgiveness and and all sorts of manners of things have been coming into their lives. Addictions, Lord, there could be mental health issues, Lord. They've become, um, Lord, self Images, Lord, there could be all sorts of stuff there that's been stopping them from having joy. Lord, will you just blank all this stuff out? Father, we bind this all up and we just pray that, Lord, you will bring joy into people's lives again that haven't had it for a long time. Father, will you just fill these people with this wonderful, restoring Holy Spirit, Lord, that they may find a place, Lord, to be restored again back to where they were. So, Father, we just pray for this house of restoration here at table, that you may help people to be restored and blessed. And, Lord, may they, Lord, from the castle of their heart, Lord, fly that flag and that the joy of the Lord, Lord, will be their strength forever.